Um, Acts chapter 13, and today we are going to look at a huge uh, chunk of Scripture, um, verses 13 through 52. And, and last week we talked about the, the ministry of missionaries as this first band of missionaries is called out and sent in the beginning of Acts chapter 13. Uh, this week we're going to look at the message of the missionaries, because what we find here in Acts chapter 13 is the first sermon that is recorded in the scriptures of the Apostle Paul. Now, we know that he's been preaching um, even back after he was first converted um, around Damascus and Arabia. He would go around and it said that he was uh, confounding uh, the Jewish leaders with his wisdom and knowledge and his presentation of the gospel. So we know that he was preaching, but what we find in Acts 13 is actually uh, the first sermon that we have of Paul here today that we'll look at. And, and as we begin, I want to kind of tie together last week and this week just in general. I, I started last week with a confession that, that I at one time had a really poor understanding of what a missionary was. I thought that missionaries were, were the B squad of Christian ministry when in fact we should think of them as the special forces, the A team, right, of Christian ministry. And, and Today, I, I want to build on that, and I just want to ask you the question as we begin, what is a missionary? Because this is something that I find that we often have um, different ideas that don't exactly line up with what, with what the Bible says. So what, what is a missionary? Let me break it down in, in a few layers. First of all, a missionary is a Christian. A missionary is, is someone who has uh, heard the gospel, has responded to the gospel, has given their life to Jesus Christ and seek to follow Jesus as Lord and desire to glorify God in all things. Who fits that box, right? We all do. Check one. Next level. A missionary is someone who is living obediently to that call of the gospel. A missionary is someone who has a, uh, a life and a practice and a desire to glorify God, and in doing so, uh, they are uh, obedient to evangelize. They have a desire that others would hear the gospel that transformed them, and that they would be able to present that message and transform others. Now, here's, here's the trick. That should be all of us as well. So, so far, there's really nothing that's, that's extraordinary yet about a, a missionary. Does that, does that make sense? All of us to this point, if you're in Christ, uh, you've believed in him, you're a Christian, we're called to produce fruit, we're called to share the gospel, we're, we're called to have a heart and a life and a love for others. And so, uh, missionaries first, they're Christians, then they, they are obedient in that, they where they are. Before they're called to go far and wide, you'll see in their pattern that they seek to proclaim the gospel and see others come to Christ. Third, is a missionary is called to go to a different people. So now we're starting to differentiate a little bit, right? So a missionary is called to go to different people. There's a sense in which you could say that I am a missionary, because I um, have come 
to here to minister to you, to proclaim the gospel here in Titusville. This is not where I'm from. This is not uh, my Midwestern culture that I grew up in. It's not extremely different, but it's, it's different, right? Um, and, and, you know, I've left my family and the Lord has called me and brought me here. So there's a sense in which uh, that's a ministry call. But the, the last layer is really what we think of when we think about a missionary. And, and it has to include all of these previous ones together. But the, the special call of what we would call a missionary is someone to whom God places a call on to go to a people very different. To a people who do not have access to the gospel. To a, a place where there is not healthy uh, proclamation of the gospel that they might go for the purpose of bringing the good news and they might go for the for the purpose of establishing churches that the gospel witness would be there and so one congregation realizes that God has placed the call on a people that there's a people with a need and they then send those missionaries those ones that they call to that place. But, but in essence, I, I want to boil down to us and, and, and this, and that is we all, there's a sense that all of us are called to be a missionary in the sense that we all, if we're believers, are called to evangelize. So the idea of proclaiming the gospel, the idea of sharing the gospel, the idea of thinking like a missionary, acting like a missionary, doesn't even necessarily mean that you have to go to Timbuktu. You can, be, uh, um, you can have a missionary mindset and be a missionary here in your community where you grew up. Does that make sense? And all of us, in a sense, are called to do much of this, which then takes us to the next question, which we'll see today. What is the primary task of a missionary? So we've seen what is it as far as calling, but what's the primary task? What are they sent to go and to do? And I've already showed my cards, and that is they're to go to share the gospel, they're to go to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, to see people converted and to build churches, that, that the gospel witness would remain. And, and this is a big question because there are many groups in, in the world today, in modern evangelicalism, and, and they have missionaries that, that don't necessarily go primarily for the gospel. There are groups that primarily see the work of missions as social justice, as political reform, education, economic opportunity, health care, voting rights, feeding. All of these sometimes are, are major emphases of some groups and, and the actual gospel message is minimized. And I know for Southern Baptists that's hard for us to think about because we're a people that are about the gospel for the Great Commission and we send our missionaries off to go do that. Now sometimes our missionaries need to get a foot in the door. And so, missionary I worked with in China, China's a closed country. You can't just say, you can't show up and on a visa say, I'm here to convert everybody to Jesus. They'll be like, go somewhere else. And so, uh, the missionary that I worked with in China, he had a nonprofit that he established there in China, and he would ask believers if they would donate that he might send um, children to school that live in far remote villages. And so he would then be able to go in and visit in these villages to talk with the families, to, to meet the children, to interact with the schools. 
And, and he was able then to send a, a great number of these uh, children that they could go and they could re receive education, a real physical need that they had. But at the end of the day, that was just his foot in the door. The reason that he was there and, and what drove him and what he focused on was preaching the gospel to these people. And so that should be the mark of a, a, of a missionary, is to proclaim the message of the gospel in the power of the Spirit that God would transform lives and hearts and call people into faith in Jesus Christ. That is, if we're going to take our cues from the Scriptures, what we're going to see as we look today is what the Bible shows us the primary task of what a missionary is and and in a lot of ways, these carry over to us and to a local church ministry as well, because we're, we're in those layers, right? But that task, then, is to focus on the good news of Jesus Christ, on proclaiming the gospel that others would hear the message of Jesus Christ, that they would be called to respond, and that God would gather them in and we would begin to work with them for discipleship and growth. And so our text today is the first message of missionaries. It's the first presentation of the gospel um, by these missionaries. And I, I want us to read it. It's a long text. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to, to make um, three major headings around what we can learn from this uh, about the the message of missionaries and the message of the church today and what we're to do as ministers of the gospel as well. So if you look with me, let's begin reading chapter 13, beginning in verse 13 of Acts. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Pathos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch and Poseidon, and on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and they sat down. After reading the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. Verse 16. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand, he said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took place about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. And then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he has testified and said, I, will, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all of my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he, no, but behold, after me is one who is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Verse 26, brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. 
for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled by, by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And, the, and when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in the tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that with what God promised to our fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for this fact, he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, as it is spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. Verse 36. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and laid with his fathers and saw corruption... But he who God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could have not been freed from the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said of the prophets should also come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells you. Verse 42. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told to them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the, after the, meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts of Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. And they began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside, judge for yourselves, unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are returning to the Gentiles." For the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light to the Gentiles, that you might bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, as many were appointed to eternal life and believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing in the leading men in the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook the dust from their feet again against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. You know, this morning I want to take this long text, a text that we often, when we read, will tend to get lost in because it's so full of Old Testament pictures and, and prophecy and fulfillment. And, and, and what I want to do is I want to take this text and I want to simplify it in a way that we can understand the thrust of it 
and that we can apply this to us today. That it's not just a history lesson of, oh, Paul went and he preached and people believed. But I believe that in all of Scripture, God has recorded and given us the Scripture in such a way that, yes, it does show us the truth. It shows us historically events what happened. But it also has within it a standard and a model and a reason for us today that we would line up our lives and our practices according to what God has done through those before us as it's recorded in Scripture. Amen? So that's what I want us to do this morning. And I want us to look at this text in in three things, three ways that I've broken it up. The first that we see here is we see the preparation for the gospel. So what is the, the... What is the message of a missionary? Well, it's the gospel. It is to proclaim the gospel. And we'll look a little bit about what that means here in this text. But the first thing is, it's kind of building up on last week's. And and that is, before we proclaim the gospel, there has to be some preparation beforehand. We don't just immediately uh, start speaking the gospel. I mean, sometimes those opportunities come. But I want to tell you that what we see in in missionaries' lives and what we see throughout the scripture is is that these men, and we should be intentional in the way that we live, that we seek to generate situations and times with people where we can have gospel conversations. Where we can go from talking about the Jaguars somehow winning last night to the gospel of Jesus Christ as we interact with individuals. And that takes intention. That takes a preparation. And in these passages, I want to bring out just a few ways that we think about and we see this preparation. We, we see this at the beginning here. They, they leave from Pathos, and they go to Perga, they come to Pamelia, they, they go up to Antioch of Poseidon. This is a different Antioch than, than the Antioch where the church was sent out. And they go to these places, and they're in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and all of this is not just coincidence. All of this uh, shows an intentionality, a purpose, a preparation that has taken place beforehand that the gospel would be shared. There's a few things that we can learn from this. First is, we need partnership. We need partnership. Look at verse 13. Now Paul and his companions. Paul didn't go alone. It's very interesting. From this point on, the focus of the book goes from Barnabas to Paul. Now Barnabas, who was the one who 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 found Paul, who brought Paul before the apostles when they rejected him, when they were scared of him. Barnabas, this this instrumental man of the early church who was so wonderful and so great, his ministry seems to be shadowed now by the ministry of Paul, which will dominate the rest of the book of Acts. And so it says here, Paul and his companions, and we're reminded that ministry is not something that just an individual does on their own apart from anything else. God has called us, when he, when he calls us to salvation, one of the theological things that happens is we're also, we, it's the, the doctrine of adoption. When we are saved, we are saved into a family. We're not saved because of our family, but we're saved into a family. We're saved into the church, and and that's expressed in a local body where, like today, 
We gather together. We encourage one another. We help one another. When there's a death, we support one another. You should have seen all the food. <laughs> right? We're not alone. We're part of a, a body in Christ, a family of Christ. And as we do ministry, we do ministry together in the name of Christ. And particularly this kind of ministry, when someone has the call of God upon them and the desire placed upon them, and, and a group sees that there's a need far away, it takes a lot of partnership to get the gospel to all corners of the earth, doesn't it? And so first we see partnership, the desire to work together, to lift each other up, to support one another that we might be effective for the things of Christ. The second thing that we see in this is, is the leading of the Holy Spirit. We can't leave this out. Uh, again, um, the first part of 13 begins with this, that the disciples as they're praying, the Holy Spirit calls and sets apart Barnabas and Paul for this purpose and so they were sent by the Spirit they through prayer have gone here they have been led by the Spirit they have continued their journey by focusing on the where the Spirit will go later we'll see Paul with the great Macedonian call where the Spirit of God presses and urges upon him a place that he needs to go that he wasn't thinking of going and so we have to remember that the work of ministry is a work that is directed by the Spirit. And so we want to prepare. I forget who said it. This is a good quote. We want to we do ministry like this. We want to work like everything depends on us and pray like everything depends on God. Does that make sense? We, we, we want to work hard, but at the end of the day, we realize it's not our plans, and it's not our purposes, and we need God's direction and God's spirit to be able to be effective in the things that he has called us to. And so here they have a sensitivity to the spirit of where to go, what to do. And third is just strategic thinking. Their lives are marked by a desire to win souls. Their lives are marked by a desire that they live in a hurt and a dying and a lost world. And friends, I'm afraid that the church, I'm afraid that we have become so calloused to a dark, wicked, evil, wretched world that we have forgotten that men and women can be redeemed by Jesus. And so what happens is we often turn on news channels and lament the, the idiocracy that's all around us we drive through certain parts of town and, and we bemoan what has happened. We see individuals in, in a state of sin and we blame the decisions that they have made. And the whole time, we forget, but the grace of God, so would I be. We forget that we are here to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. We are here that the, the message of salvation that we've received, that we've got, that, that that message goes to everyone. And that message goes out because God's people take it out. And I'm one of God's people. 
you're a missionary. I'm a missionary. In this sense, remember, we, we peel it back at the most basic, fundamental sense. We all are missionaries if we believe it in Jesus Christ because we're all given the responsibility to share the gospel. Are we being intentional about that? Are we being strategic with that? Paul, we see, is strategic about that. A, a good missionary is incredibly strategic about that. My, my missionary friend in China, he, you know, again, he, he, he put kids in school because that was his way to get in, and that was his way to get to know the community, and that was his way that he could earn trust that then he could tell them about Jesus Christ who died on a cross for their sins and could save them. We can be strategic in what we do. We don't have to be a missionary sent somewhere else. Do you, do you go by the same checker at the grocery store every time? You see her every time. Try to strike up a gospel conversation. Do you go to the same place and eat? You talk to the waitress every time. Try to strike up a gospel conversation. Do you, do you put rhythms in your life where you get chances to talk with people? Are you thinking about opportunities where you can turn an everyday conversation into a conversation about the gospel? And it's really not that hard when we begin thinking strategically. I, I love the passage in the Old Testament where um, Joseph is put in prison because of Potiphar's wicked wife. I mean, Joseph is just like, what else could go wrong, right? And, and now he's in prison for being righteous. And, and if I were Joseph, I... I would probably have a pity party and I'd be just an absolute jerk and I've given up on everything. But Joseph, he gets in there and, and he serves and he does and he does what he's supposed to do and he's, he's appointed to kind of the head, the head prisoner. I mean, I don't know if that's a great role. <laughs> I guess it's the best you can get there. And, and, and I love this because the way that God works in Joseph's life is this. He is sensitive to the conversations of the people around him. Because one day, he looks at the baker, and he looks at the cupbearer, and he goes, why are your faces down? Why are your faces down? He goes to the checkout line and sees the girl that he sees every time that he goes to Kroger and says, man, you look down today. What's going on? He goes to the restaurant where he goes and gets his breakfast every Wednesday. And the waitress that, that comes up, she just looks off, and he says, how are you doing? And he goes to this cupbearer and he, and he goes to uh, the baker and he says, he says, why are you down? And they begin to tell him about the dreams. And through that, God raises Joseph up and he saves the people of Israel. Why? Because he's just strategically looking around at his life and interacting with people for their spiritual needs. We all can be missionaries if we think like that. If we look like that. So here they are. And this is the pattern that Paul will do because Paul has figured out that this is a pretty good pattern for ministry. He goes into the synagogue and he sits down and he listens. And, and, and as would happen, the tradition of the synagogue was that visiting teachers, and, and Paul would have had the credentials to be a visiting teacher. Paul is traveling with individuals with him and he looks like a teacher, like a rabbi that would travel around with his students. And so they go and they drop in and they sit in the synagogue and they listen to them read the law. They listen to them read the prophets. They, they listen to the reading of God's word. And then 
the leader of the synagogue, because Paul has worked to get himself at the right place at the right time, strategically thinking, looks at him and says, hey brother, would you like to share something today? (laughs) Oh yeah. And he gets up, and I love it, he points at him, (laughs) and he begins to share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want you to see that all of this is just because of preparation, because of being mindful of the opportunity to do that. And you might not be called across the world, but God has called you to lost people here where you are. And the same principles, the same thought, the same motivations that we see in this text are the same principles, thoughts, and motivations that we should have in a lost and dying world in which we live. So we see a preparation for the gospel. Second, we see the preaching of the gospel. We see the preaching of the gospel. And this is the, the main section here, verses 17 through 40. This is the, the big chunk of this text. And I, I won't read it again, but you can see, if you, if you look at this uh, argumentation, there's a couple of things that I want you to see. First of all is this. The reason uh, that, that, that we teach and emphasize biblical preaching in the context of Scripture is because that's what we see modeled in Scripture. You know, Paul, as he presents the gospel, he keeps going back. In the Old Testament, it said this. The Psalms said this. This said this. Very much the same way that Jesus would teach and expound the Old Testament. The way that in the New Testament, that they expound over and over again the Old Testament. God has given us our, His Word, and His Word is the message. And so as we preach and we teach, we need God's Word. We need to, to know and understand and explain and expound and receive God's Word And that's what we see here. We see biblical preaching. And and Paul goes through the Old Testament. He he starts at the beginning. He he talks about the Israelites. He talks about the promises that are given. He he talks about the exile. He talks about about how God promised through David one that would not see corruption. But David saw corruption, so it couldn't be David. And then he gets to Christ, and he shows how Christ is the fulfillment of all of these things, how he was rejected by the people, how he was raised from the dead, how he was never to die again, to never see corruption. See, he, he argues and uses what the Scripture says about Jesus to show that Jesus is true. And he does this in a very, uh, a, a very Jewish context, but also... He expounds to them that you can believe, you must believe in this, and you will receive salvation, and you will receive forgiveness. And he says, not only to you Jews, but to the Gentiles, to everyone. This is the first sermon that we have recorded of Paul. This is the first sermon that we have recorded of the missionaries called by the church. And you know what the amazing thing is? Is that it's the same message that we have today. Now, now we don't proclaim the, the, the Jewish understanding of the Bible to people that have no clue what it is. But, but here's what Paul is doing that we do today. The, the foundation of the message that he presents is the same foundation, the same framework that we have today when we present the gospel. I've told this to you before. God, man, Christ, response. God, man, Christ, response. 
this, this framework, this, this, this undergirding of understanding uh, the, the gospel, the good news, then we can shape and take to any culture, to any context, to any people that they might understand the gospel of Jesus Christ and believe in it. Look what he does here in verse 17. He starts by talking about who God is. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers. He sets for the foundation of them God and who he is. We, too, first must start with who God is. God is the creator. He is holy. He loves humanity. Then he moves on to man in verse 18 and, and throughout the section talking about the Old Testament, he, he talks about Israel and how they uh, disobeyed God. I, I love it. It says, it, says, uh, it says that God basically permitted, he, he put up with them during the desert wandering. <laughs> he tolerated them during the desert wandering because they were sinful, because they had rejected God. His judgment could have come down on them. So too we, uh, God, man, God loved us, he created us, but we have rejected him, we have rejected his law through Adam and through our own sinfulness. God is just tolerating us right now. His judgment has not come upon us, and there's nothing that we can do to make right the wrongs that we have done in breaking God's law. Christ. God, man, Christ. And of course, this, this text, verses 22 through 37, he talks about the promised Messiah, how Jesus is that Messiah. He, he emphasizes the life, the miracles, the death, the resurrection. He, he emphasizes that Jesus is to never die again, showing the fulfillment of those Old Testament prophets. And so, too, we, we first speak of God, we speak of Christ, and, and then we tell of or we tell of man's sin, then we tell of Christ and what he has done. That God sent us redemption. That God sent his son who came and lived a perfect life in our place, who fully kept the law. And that he went to the cross rejected by his own people. And he died. And the sacrifice of his death was not because of his sin, but because of our sin. But he did not stay dead. God raised him and he is alive and will return. God, man, Christ. And a lot of times that's where the preaching of the gospel stops. And if it stops there, the gospel hasn't been shared. All we've shared with people is some bad news and something about Jesus. But there's no personal application at this point. The, the, Jesus, how do, I, how do I fit into that? It's not automatic. And so... God, man, Christ, response, response. And, 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 and look at this. this, this appeal to response from Paul is amazing. Look at verse 38. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by everyone who believes, and by him, everyone who believes, Everyone who believes this message, you must believe this message, is freed from everything which could not be freed from the law. You see, we have to appeal to the message of the gospel. We, we have to, to tell people that, that it's not automatic that you will be saved. 
but that you must trust in Christ for your salvation. You must believe in what God has done. You must repent of your sins, and and you must trust in Christ and seek to follow Him. And, And if you will do that, if you will lay aside your own self-passions, your own self-righteousness, admit your sin and trust in what God has done for you in Christ, you will be saved. Anyone will be saved. The Jews, the Gentiles, anyone comes the same way by the same message through the same Christ. But you have to come. Isn't that good? God, man, Christ response. If we have this framework of the gospel in the back of our minds, and then we have uh, Bible verses, just a few Bible verses memorized about this story and what these things are, you can share the gospel with anyone like that. Not in a, not in a pre-recorded kind of Bible, gospel memory way, where you got to make like a hard transition you know God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Let me share with you the four spiritual laws. Right? We, we all know what telemarketers do, and we don't like it. The way that God intends for us to share the gospel is in a very genuine, personal way. And so if we take the example of this, not only is this the message that missionaries still have today, but it's the message that we have today. That, 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 that we can have a conversation with an individual, we can see that they're down, we can hear about their hurt, and we can very quickly explain to them about God, about sin and the brokenness in this world and why they're experiencing trouble and the hope in Jesus Christ and their need to trust in him and present the gospel to them. We see that here. We see uh, the message, the presentation of the gospel But we also see in this passage, and I love this, the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel. You know, years later, I have to imagine that this amazing moment, along with a number of other amazing moments that we'll read about through the book of Acts, and moments that we won't even know about that are just briefly referenced, or or we don't know, but they all culminate and come together in Paul's mind as he's writing to the Romans. And in the the beginning of that book, in the introduction, he, he makes this powerful statement that is one of our favorite statements of all of the Bible in Romans 1.16. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The first to the Jew and also to the Greek. I have to imagine that this first missionary trip, that this day in, in, in Antioch here, that, that, that this is the, the message in in his mind as he's writing that and all of those other times and all of those other places where he has done nothing but preach the gospel powerfully and seen God work and transform individuals. Uh, Paul didn't come on and put on a circus. Paul didn't come and put on some kind of a campaign. Paul didn't, didn't come and, and, and even really do healing services. Now, these missionaries, when they came, what they did is they came and they strategically found ways that they could gather people to them, sometimes large crowds, sometimes small crowds. And they did one thing over and over and over and over and over. God, man, Christ response. God, man, Christ. 
Christ response. God, man, Christ response. They preach the gospel in all kinds of different contexts, amongst all kinds of different people. And they saw over and over again the power of God as the gospel message was proclaimed. A few things here, thinking about the power of the gospel that we see in this text. Because of the power of gospel, ministers focus on proclaiming the word. Ministers should focus on proclaiming the world, the word. Friends, unfortunately, in our day and our age, I'm sorry to tell you, but from many pulpits or music stands or little tables, whatever a church may put in front where someone would come and share, there is a declining interest and a declining uh, focus on the word of God being proclaimed because we think that other methods are more powerful. And that's sad. Over and over again through Acts, what we're going to see is the word of God increased. The word of God grew. The word increased. Meaning people were getting saved because of the power of the word of God through the spirit of God as men and women proclaimed the word of God. There is a power in the gospel. Paul says here, verse 46, Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, that you thrust it aside for yourselves, unworthy of eternal life. We are turning to the Gentiles for the word, the Lord has commanded us saying, I've made you a light to the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And the way that they bring the salvation to the ends of the earth is by proclaiming that word. That is the emphasis of the church. Everything that we are to do is to be built around sharing the word of God. We have fellowship groups. We have uh, ladies groups that get together. We have young at heart. All of this is, is to be gathered together that we can proclaim and share and grow in the word of God together. Everything that a church should do should be centered around God's word because our mission has been to get this word out and in because that's where the power is. The power is in the word. We see also they recognize the effectiveness of the word. Verse 48, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. As many were appointed to, as many who were appointed to eternal life, believed. The word of God is powerful and effective. It is the word of God being proclaimed that changed the lives of these Jews and these Gentiles in this place. It is the word of God at work in you that has changed you. And so may all that we do, may all of it emphasize this task that the missionaries are given and that we are giving, that we proclaim the power of the gospel that we trust in the power of the gospel, that we don't give up on the message of the gospel. That's a big temptation in our day. The message of the word of God is becoming daily counterintuitive to the wisdom of the world, isn't it? Daily, the, the things that, that the Bible clearly states and teaches and are non-negotiables in our culture are seen as old ways of thinking, as repressive and wrong and 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 hurtful to groups 
And yet we cannot give up on the Word of God. We cannot change the Word of God, for it is the Word of God that is the power of God in salvation. This message is still relevant today, isn't it? Don't you love that? When we break it down, when we, we get around all of it, and we look at the heart of what's going on, it's the same message for ministry today. It's the same uh, message uh, for, for us today, for missionaries today. That we should live lives intentionally, purposely trying to share the gospel. That when we have opportunity, that we share the gospel. God, man, Christ, response. And that we believe as we do this in the power of the gospel as it will propel us to continue to do that no matter what happens. They're going to get ran out of town at the, because of preaching this. That's what happens at the end of the verse. They are, they're ran out of town. And yet, I love the last sentence here. The last sentence says they were filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit because they knew that they were doing the work and the will of God. Friends, this gospel still is this message that we proclaim today. It's still not just for missionaries. It's for us and it's for you. The message of Christ. Have you believed in it? What said in verse 38 is still true for you today, for me today. Let it be known to you, therefore, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by which everyone who believes is freed from everything. Have you trusted? Have you been freed? Have you followed Jesus? If not, today you can. Today you can call out for Christ to be your Lord and your Savior, and you can follow him. For those, for those of us who have followed him, are we making the word of God central to our life, and are we making, sharing the word of God central in all that we do? It's not hard. I, I hope that you don't walk away from this going, oh man, what he said, I, I could never do that. It's not hard to have a, a heart for people and look for opportunities to tell them about God, man, Christ's response. And that's how God spreads the word and people come to believe. We need to be, we need to prepare to share the gospel. We need to be faithful to proclaim the gospel. And we need to be captivated and committed to the power of the gospel in people's lives as it's proclaimed. Pray with me. Father,